The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. Good morning. My name is Robbie. I serve as one of the pastors on staff. Pastor Jeff will return next week. It's an honor to fill in for him. We will be in, in Psalm 36 this morning. Psalm 36. The main idea is this, that amidst the evil of this world, the precious love of the Lord protects and provides for his children. This, this psalm is very similar to Psalm 1. Both reveal this, this great contrast between the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. But unlike Psalm 1 that begins with the righteous way, Psalms 36 begins with the wicked. The order is reversed. And one thing we saw last week was the unjust and evil ways of the world. What, what, what Psalms 36 does is it takes us deeper into exactly why the wicked do what they do. And David begins with a, a, a window, if you will, a window in, into the fallen human heart. So with that thought, let's stand and read the passage. The inscription at the top says, To the choir master of David, the servant of the Lord. Verse 1, transgression speaks to the wicked. Deep in his heart, there is no fear of God before his eyes. For he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. The words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He has ceased to act wisely and do good. He plots trouble while on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not reject evil. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast you save, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The, the children of mankind, they, they take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Oh, continue your steadfast love to those who know you and your righteousness to the upright of heart. Let not the foot of arrogance come upon me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. They're the evildoers. They lie fallen. They are thrust down, unable to rise. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, renew our minds in your word. And amidst the sin and evil of this world, fill us with joy over your glorious perfections and love for your people. You may be seated. So there's an important doctrine of the Christian faith called the depravity of man. It basically summarizes what the Bible teaches about the sinfulness of humanity. I just bought a 500-page book on it by a dead guy named A.W. Pink. Some of my friends, they, they catch me reading it, and they think I'm depressed 
for reading a book on sin and depravity, but in a sobering way, I'm very interested. Because what the Bible says about our deepest problem is like a key that fits the lock. It it, it reveals the truth about what's really wrong with the world. And this is where David begins. Look at verse 1. It says, transgression, meaning sin, rebellion, it speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. So this, this is a very dark but true statement of the human heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart, the very core of man, is desperately wicked. Who can understand it? So at the heart level, mankind is rotten. David then says the heart speaks. It speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. In other words, the heart doesn't sit idle. I call it the bad impulse. It's that inner compulsion toward evil. The heart speaks, and the wicked give ear, and they obey. Now, this this doesn't mean sinners hear voices. It's not what that means. Ever heard somebody say, the devil made me do it? That's a cop-out. It's putting the primary blame on the wrong person. Turn to James 1. Turn to James 1. We're starting off with some pretty deep theology here. So turn, turn to James 1. Let me paint a picture of what's going on in there. James 1, 14. It says, each person, meaning every person, is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Now, that blew me away studying that this week. Because the world defines the wicked as someone especially evil, like a moral monster. But God goes deeper. A person is evil, not just because they do bad things, but because they have evil compulsions, evil desires. There's no outward action. There's no outward action in Psalms 36.1. It's all taking place on the heart level. So Jesus said, Jesus was real clear. He said, out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality. Now that, that ought to convict all of us on some level. You can be, you can be very friendly and nice still be wicked. Here's the point. Write this down. This is, this is a good piece of meat to chomp on this morning. Wickedness is a disposition before it's an action. Wickedness is a disposition before it's an action. It's a, it's a desire before it's a fruit. In other words, We are not sinners because we sin. We we sin because we are sinners. Fallen humanity is born with a sinful nature. So much so 
that trying to tell a man to stop sinning is like trying to tell a dog to stop barking. It's who they are. Now, I could preach a whole sermon on that, and if I had the opportunity, I would. But this is another reason Christianity is the key that fits the lock. Think about this. Think about the logic here. If our deeper problem is our disposition, our nature, the only logical remedy is a new one. That's why if you, if you go to lunch today, read Ezekiel 36, 26. Some of you might get saved. Ezekiel 36, 26. So David keeps going deeper. Look back at verse 1. He keeps going deeper. Look at back at verse 1. He says, transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. So, so coupled with a wicked heart is no fear of God. Now the word fear here is more than just the reverence and awe that believers, born-again believers, are called to cultivate. This is, this is pointing to the dread of God and his righteous judgment against sin. David is saying this, that the world is so given over to sin that they snub their noses at ultimate realities. Realities like hell, divine judgment. Those things bring no sense of weight, no sense of terror. Growing up by my, I grew up, growing up, my grandparents lived by a railroad and we would visit my brother and I, and my brother and I would always go down there and play on the railroad tracks. And in that specific area, the track was very long and straight. So you could see a train coming from a long way off. We were always listening for the first sign of a horn. And as soon as we heard that horn, our hearts would just start beating and we'd, we'd jump for cover. Now, if, there, if there's a kid in the room, don't do that. That's not, that's not wise to do that. But imagine we just stood there and snubbed our noses. In regards to God, the wicked do this very thing. They do not take God into account. Romans 1, it's very clear. Romans 1, 30 through 32 says, The wicked, the wicked are slanderers. Haters of holy things, haters of God, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Now, this, this outright rejection influences how the world behaves. It influences how the world lives. Some have called verses 2 through 4 the descent into darkness. Prideful hearts roll downhill. Let's look at verse 2. For he, he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. To flatter means to smooth things out in your own eyes. The wicked are constantly trying to make themselves appear and feel better than they actually are. 
I'm a, psycho, I'm a psychology major. I went to UNC Charlotte. I got one of those degrees. You can't do nothing with that degree, by the way. Don't get it. All right? <laughs> you can do nothing with that degree. I'm still in school, too. I, I'm, I got a psychology degree and a teaching degree, and I'm working on a seminary degree, which I'll never finish because I got four kids, and, and I just, I'm just busy. But, but listen to this. The wicked are constantly trying to make them feel, feel better. And, and this is a psychological coping mechanism. It, 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 it's a self-deceptive way to ease a, a, a guilty conscience. Now, in, in my teenage years, I remember backing into my neighbor's car and feeling ashamed and not wanting to get caught. I, I tried to gloss it over with one of those, those, those paint markers that you can buy at Advanced Auto Parts. I did not work very well, by the way. You can still see it. Anyway, I was flattering myself that my sin would not be found out and hated. And later I confessed and apologized, but, but why did I do that? Why did I do that? On the deeper level, I didn't want others or myself to think I was a bad kid, so I covered it up. And I pretended it was no big deal. Now, people do this all the time. I'm going to step into our world a little bit. Some play what I call the comparatively speaking game. I'm not, a, I'm not that bad. I, I'm not a terrorist. I'm not a child molester or a serial killer. Ever flattered yourself like that? Some even smooth things out by denying absolute truth. It's called postmodernism. What's right for you is right for you. And what's wrong for me is wrong for me. That's nothing but a demonic, sinister attempt to ease a guilty conscience. Get God off my back and I can do what I want. Now look at verse 3. The ball continues rolling downhill. He says, the words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He has ceased to act wisely and do good. So, so once the reality of God, once this reality of God is rejected and suppressed, sin and evil abound. Sounds, sounds a lot like the world we live in, folks. The other day, a guy called asking if it was okay to have an abortion he called me asking me if it was okay to have an abortion. He said his friends had been telling him it's all right, but he just wanted to check with the church first. And then I told him clearly, I said, abortion is murder. And he got mad and hung up. Uh, and tell you the truth, I was surprised he even called. In many ways, the world has ceased to act wisely and do good. And on many levels, and you're seeing it, you're seeing evil blossom. Evil is now good, and good is evil. Now, look at verse 4. He says, he plots trouble while on his bed. He, he sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not reject evil. So unlike the believer who meditates on the law of the Lord day and night, the wicked meditate on their flesh and how to fulfill it. Transgression has now become an obsession. 
The sinner is now so deep in sin that through whatever means necessary, revenge, pornographic websites, theft, anger, whatever, the preferred lust, they will get their fix no matter who they hurt, even at the expense of themselves. And friends, listen to me. Give me some pastoral advice. This is why you can't just sin a little bit. The little bit always turns into a little bit more until one day you wake up and there's a monster in the mirror. The devil will always take you farther than you ever wanted to go. Now, I know that was depravity, but we're going to get to some good news in a minute. Bad news is the backdrop, and what's good news really shines. So, so look what David does. This is interesting. Now, in light of all of this messy depravity, you would think he jumped straight to God's wrath. I probably would. But he, he suddenly switches to God's perfections and holy character. Look at verse 5. He says, your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds, your your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Now, scholars have different ways on why David does this, but I believe this, I'm convicted about this, that amidst this dark backdrop of man's depravity, he's come to truly appreciate and treasure the holy and perfect nature of God. Brothers and sisters, our God is not like this world. He's holy. He's what theologians call holy other, perfect in righteousness, perfect in power, perfect in love, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. First John says, I love 1 John. He said, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. The light has shone into the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So for you dualistic worldview people, listen to me. This is not Star Wars. This is not an ongoing battle between good and evil. The light has shone into the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And church, listen to me. Delighting in who God is, the very person of God, theology, delighting in who God is and what he has done in Christ is how we persevere amidst the sin and the evil in our world and even in our own hearts. There's a, there's a little verse in the book of Job I love. It says this, and this is King James Version, so don't freak out, but listen. It says this, Acquaint thyself with God and be at peace. Acquaint thyself with God, the holy other, and be at peace. And this is what this next section's about, that amidst the darkness of this world, God has spread a feast for his people. Look at verse 5. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. 
So there's a, there's a top-down descending pattern in these next couple of verses. You've got heavens, faithfulness to the mountains. You've got clouds and you've got oceans. So just for a second here, sometimes we miss this stuff. I'm going to take you outside the created universe that not only is God light, he's the uncaused cause, by the way. Not only is God light, he is love. God is love, First John says, God is love. Not the light and fluffy puppy dog love of the liberals, but a holy love. A love that finds its source in the eternal and triune relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If you read John 17 you get a glimpse into what this love looks like. And what's marvelous is that God has chosen to make his love known, especially his covenant and steadfast love for his people. Now, the word for this holy love is hesed. Hesed. And it's, it's mentioned more than any other attribute in this text three times. David mentions it. It means this. It's the loyal love of God. One commentator wrote, Hesed is a love only God can give. It's a love that never changes, never fails, always promised, always true. It's the covenant love that Christ secured for his people. In Luke twenty-two twenty. he talks about that. And David says, it extends to the heavens. I read an article last week on the Hubble telescope. That's just a fancy, expensive telescope that the government probably shouldn't have bought. But it gives us good pictures. And scientists have determined that outer space is so vast that it, it can't be measured by our standard yardstick. NASA has had to create a whole new measuring system. In other words, God's love for his people is so great, it cannot be measured. You can't escape it. You, there's no place you can go where it's not there. It's never ending, never failing. Romans 8, for I am sure that's assurance, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. What comfort let that come warm to you, believer. What comfort and assurance comes to God's people when they apprehend his unconditional and covenant love for them. I spoke with a, a guy a few weeks ago who, who got this for the first time. And he was struggling whether God in Christ truly loved him. And after a few discipleship talks at Starbucks, he got it. And I've never seen a guy smile so big. <laughs> I smiled with him too. I, I even shed a tear for the brother. This is why Paul prays in Ephesians that we might have the strength by the power of God to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth, and to know what? 
to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God himself. I have personally found, I have personally found that my highest moments in the Christian life for life is my most transforming moments, comforting moments have come when I'm humbled and blown away by the love of God for me in Jesus Christ, that he chose me, a sinner. And think a minute with me, believers. If you're in Christ, you were verses 1 through 4. There was nothing in you that would attract a righteous God. You were rotten. But in a radical display of holy love, And mercy, God came down in the person and work of Jesus Christ, purchased us and set us free. And let me just be doctrinally blunt for a second. If you think God loves everybody the same, you're going to miss what David's saying here. The love God has for his people is not the same love he has for the whole world. God's love for his church endures forever. Behold, what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. Amen? So believers, when the devil accuses you, and he will, when evil surrounds you, And it will when temptation rocks you, when you feel troubled in mind and soul and tempted to believe God's not there, you preach that to yourself. Nothing can separate God's love from his people. Amen. Man, that warmed my heart this week. I don't know about you. I needed that. I needed that. I could, I could stop right here, but we got some, some more verses. Let's keep going. Verse 5, it says, it says, God's faithfulness is through the clouds. So faithful just means reliable. So unlike the wicked, unlike the wicked, God is dependable, perfectly dependable. He does what he says. And not only that, he's always there. Jesus is the God who is always there. In Christ, we have a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Verse 6, your righteousness is like the mountains of God. So think about this. Unlike the wicked who roll downhill, God is unmovable. He's like a giant mountain. He will not, listen to me, he will not and cannot do evil. His judgments are always right. Now, David, David makes this interesting shift in, the next, in this verse. He says, look, look at that. He says, your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast, you save, O Lord. Now, why would David include man and beast, you save? The word save here is key. In, in, in Hebrew, the fancy, deeper language to this is a reference for salvation, not provision. So, so save there means, means provision, preservation, not salvation. It, it's a general statement 
of God's compassion and mercy to all people. Quote, although man's depravity fills the heart, God's perfections fill the universe. In other words, God's love is so deep that on some level it even goes out to those who reject him. And theologians call this common grace. Everybody gets a level of it. Even those who reject the gospel get to eat Krispy Kreme donuts and ice cream. It's common grace. God's love goes that deep. Now think about this, believer. David's teasing out the special particular love of God here. If God extends general care to all men and even animals, how much more does he care for his people? Jesus said what? Don't be anxious. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not, are you not of more value than they are? Now, with this, with this deep understanding of God's love and perfections, David says something very intimate in verse 7. All right, it's, it's kind of like this. When you spend time with your favorite person, you, you should leave their presence full of joy. And here's what he says, verse 7. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. Precious means priceless, rare, splendid. It's something you hold dear to your heart. And the rest of this passage is David's concluding with four reasons, four reasons why the love and perfections of God are precious to him. Look at verse 7. He says, the, the children of mankind, the redeemed, take refuge in the shadow of your wings. So, so think about spring is on the horizon, and the birds are going to start chirping, and the nests are going to get to building. Last year, we had a nest right outside our bathroom window. Um, it was so cool to watch the mother bird warm her babies under her wing. Um, it was right by my window in the bathroom. So my wife would be like, what are you doing in the bathroom? I'm watching the birds. I'm watching the birds. It's so cool to watch that mother bird put those little babies under her wing and protect them from the rain and whatnot. Think about God. God is precious like that for his people. He's precious like that for his people. Kim Lindsay, one of our pastors, our former pastors, he always starts, a lot of times he starts his prayer with this. Lord, Thank you for making a way for us to come into your presence. I used to love it when he said that. Jesus Christ came for that purpose. He came to atone for sin so that we find refuge in the presence of holy God. So only, and get this, only in Christ is God a refuge. I want to be clear about that. Only in Christ is God a refuge outside of him? God is an unapproachable terror. But in him, he's a refuge, a warm and healing presence. And I'll just add this. If you've ever sat in the presence of God, you will not want to leave. It is precious. Verse 8. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink and, and the river from the river of your delight. So this is Garden of Eden talk. The Hebrew word for delights is Eden. 
If you've ever seen a drawing of what someone thinks the Garden of Eden looks like, it never, it's never a dry desert but a lush jungle with gorgeous waterfalls and thankfully no mosquitoes. Spiritually speaking, this is what Jesus is for his people. Jesus said, he said, I came to give you life and to give it to you abundantly. So God is precious to us, church, because he's our satisfaction. He fills the mansions of our souls with him. Remember John 6 when some of the disciples turned back and no longer walked with Jesus. And Jesus turned to the remaining 12 and he said, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter, the bold one, he answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You can't put a price tag on eternal life. God is priceless to his people. Moving on. For with you, oh God, for with you is the fountain of life. So think about this. God is the source of life. All life, all life, physical, spiritual, originates, originates with him. So what's marvelous is this. The believers, we've been reconciled to the very fountain of life itself, ultimate reality itself. We do not have a life. We have the life. Unlike the world who worships idols, we worship the true and living God. Unlike the world who drinks from broken cisterns, we drink from the river of life. C.S. Lewis, he summed it up this way. The world worships the sunbeam. We worship the sun, the son of the living God. What love the Father has bestowed upon us. Now, the last reason David finds God's perfections precious is in this last cool little worldview phrase. He says, in your light, in your light, we see light. So think, it's just simple. Don't make this complicated. I made this thing too complicated studying this thing. I, I, I'll, I'll just be honest with you. I work really hard on these sermons. <laughs> so, you know, sometimes I don't get it exactly right. But this is simple. In a dark world, you need a, you need a great light. In a dark world, you need a great light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but he'll have the light of life. So it's a simple, you were blind, now you see. In Christ, believer, in Christ, you see. We have come to know the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. For God has shown into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ now, with all of this, David closes with a little prayer. He wraps it up with a little prayer. Look at verse 10. He says, oh, oh, continue, continue this, God. Continue this. Continue your steadfast love to those who know you 
and your righteousness to the upright of heart. Let not the foot of arrogance come upon me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. So this is a prayer for persevering grace. Continue your steadfast love, O God. Now I'm going to be clear. Be clear. David is not asking God to make a promise. David is not asking God to make a promise. He is trusting in a promise. Amidst the depravity of this world and even amidst our own personal struggles with sin, God will keep his people. Amen? Isaiah 26. For God, for God keeps in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. What an act of love, my friends. What an act of love, brothers and sisters. What an act of mercy that it's not our hold of Christ that keeps us, but his hold on us. So what? Have you found refuge in the precious and steadfast love of Christ? I learned this as a pastor. I'm learning this as a pastor. When you speak on depravity, you're going to hit three people, three types of people. You're going to hit the believer who struggles with indwelling sin. You're going to hit the snub your noses people, the proud and arrogant who stiff arm grace and go their own way. And you're going to meet the person who sits in his seat and is weeping and feeling like, I am awful. I want to address, I want to address the final two. I've already addressed you, believer. I've already encouraged you. So I'm going to address the final two. To the proud and arrogant today, Stay on the path of destruction. Stay on it. Or run to Christ. That's your two options. You've only got two. Stay on the path of destruction or run to Christ. Look at the last verse. For evildoers will, will lie fallen. They are thrust down, unable to rise. In other words, wickedness has a shelf life. Evil expires. Righteousness reigns, so don't waste your life. Look to Christ and be healed. Now, the last person I wanted to address. This is the person I came with a heavy heart for today. You're the broken. Verses one through four is you. You're rotten and you know it. And God in his grace is allowing you to smell your stench. And it stinks and it hurts and your conscience is guilty. You're miserable inside. I met a guy a while back who said he was on the same boat. We met for lunch and during our conversation, he kept saying things like this. He kept saying it over and over again. I'm so unworthy. A, couple, a tear or two would come out of his eyes. And he kept, he kept saying, I'm a, I'm a terrible sinner, deserving, undeserving, undeserving of God's love. And I looked at that man square in the eye. You know what I said to him? I took him off guard. You're right. That's the point. We're all unworthy. That's why God sent Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son 
that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. A few days after we met, that guy ran up to me in the church. He had this warm glow on his face and a big smile. I already knew what happened to him. I'll never forget it. The burden was lifted. Eternal life and light had come. Oh, the precious love of God. So if that's you today, I know there's somebody out there. Come and talk to me. Come talk to a pastor. Find a Christian in this room who's mature enough to lead you to Christ. Run to Jesus. That's the message here. Run to Jesus. Look to the cross. He lived and died in your place. He took the penalty of sin in your place. He bore the wrath of God in your place. He lived the perfect life you could not. And when you believe in him, you're accredited with the very righteousness of God himself. Come to him. Believe and know the precious, precious and sweet and satisfying, wonderful, steadfast love of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, fall on people. Lord, change hearts today. Encourage the believers. Lord, encourage the believers, those who maybe just messed up before they came to church and they sinned and they fell into a pattern of wickedness. Comfort them with your love. You love them. Restore them, oh God. And for the proud and arrogant, Lord, break their hearts. Cause them to come to repentance and then for the one who's broken. Heal him today. Apply your good news to his heart. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.